Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. We're going to share together in our scripture reading this morning. If you have a Bible with you, it's page 1111. That's 1111. Um, Do the words come up on the screen? No, right, okay, I wasn't sure. Uh, The church where I go, we've just got screens not all that long ago, and everything now comes up on the screen. You can't breathe, but it very nearly appears on the screen. Um, But I like this idea of people using their Bibles. It's too easy to um, forget our way around the Scripture. So it's page 1111, it's Acts chapter 16, and we're reading from verse 10. After Paul, actually, let's read from verse 6. That makes more sense. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Amen. We thank God for his word. I realize that in choosing of my hymns, I probably should have chosen another one so that we could have a short sing before we come to the first point of the sermon. John, could we have Amazing Grace at this point? We'll come back to it. But could we, could we sing that as well? Is that okay, Gregor, if we go to Amazing Grace? Is it four verses we have, Gregor? Is that right? You would find it helpful if you open your Bibles again at page 1111, um, where we read earlier, and we're going to be considering this passage together under the heading, Good News for All, and we're going to see how the gospel made a change in the lives of three very different people, different people, different circumstances, as we were saying to the children, different people, different families, different circumstances, but the same gospel, the same Jesus and the marvelous difference he makes in their lives. Well, with our Bibles open before us, let's bow our heads in prayer. There's something quite significant about that, I think. That's why I like using our Bibles. Uh, the symbolism of bowing before the authority of God and his word. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, on that last evening on earth, you prayed that... Uh, your followers would be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth, you said to the Father. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so we pray now that you will sanctify us, set us apart. Do that work that you need to do in our lives this morning. You know us, you know our situation, you know what we've come from, you know how we're feeling, you know what we're going back to, whether it's joys or sorrows, challenges, difficulties, blessings, you know it all, and you have a word for us today, each and every one. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his people in the church today. Amen. Friends, the Christian church is a missionary church. That is, 
It is always reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard it. I heard the description once of a church. It's the only organization that exists for the benefit of the people that don't belong to it. And that is true in many ways, isn't it? We exist not just for ourselves. It's wonderful to come together like this. It's wonderful to see you all. I know many of you, um, the vast majority of you as, as friends. Um, it's lovely. You know each other as friends. You enjoy gathering on occasions such as this and other occasions as you do as a church. But we're a missionary church. We've got to be concerned not just about what we do here and now, but what we do out there in the world where God has placed you in your street, in your development, in your block of flats, in your workplace, at college, at school, or whatever. The Christian church is a missionary church. That is, it is always reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard it. And there is as much a need for missionary work and endeavor in this land as there is overseas. In our passage before us this morning, we have a record of the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. It began with a fresh call, as we read earlier in those words in Acts 16. A fresh call from God to go somewhere else, and so they went. It's a wonderful lesson in obedience, isn't it? God says to them, no, I'm closing that door. You can't go there, but this is where I want you to go. And the call comes they recognize it as God's call, and they simply go. Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, if you have your Bibles there. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then verses 11 and 12 from Troas, we put out to sea and set sail for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. The call comes, and the missionaries go. The call comes, and God's people respond to that call. Well, in this wonderful narrative that we have here in the Bible for us, Luke sets before us the amazing power of the gospel in the lives of three quite different individuals that were transformed at Philippi, a Roman colony. Philippi was an ancient town, having been renamed in 356 BC by Philip II of Macedon after himself. With the expansion of the Roman Empire, it became a Roman possession in 167 BC. But its greatest fame came from the fact that it happened to be the place where the armies of Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in the decisive battle of the Second Roman Civil War in 42 BC. And it was from this event that Philippi derived its character in Paul's day because of its part in the battle. Because they had chosen to be on the right side, because they had supported the winning side, they were granted special city status, the status of a Roman colony that answered directly to the emperor. Roman soldiers were encouraged to retire there, and its citizens were exempt from provincial taxes. So as we look now together at this narrative in a little bit more detail, I want us to see what the gospel sets before us, the, the wonderful power of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to change lives, three very different lives, three different classes of people, if you want to call them as such. We've got a businesswoman, we've got a slave girl, and we've got a civil servant, we've got the jailer. But each of them changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look, first of all, at Lydia. Turn back to Acts chapter 16, if you will, and verse 13. On the Sabbath, they've arrived by now in uh, Philippi, and Luke uh, continues, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had been gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. There seems to have been no synagogue in Philippi, but there was a place of prayer, as the missionaries had expected there would be, which was just over a mile outside of the city gate. What Paul finds, however, is a group of women gathered to worship the God of Israel. Look at verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. Paul and his team sits down with them, and they use the opportunity to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come across what would have been a very influential and important woman, um, the, the seller of purple cloth. If you remember anything from these Roman films that we see, purple was very much the, 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 the color of the emperor, of royalty. Um, uh, even in some churches today, um, some, some bishops like to wear purple. It's a very ecclesiastical color. It's, it symbolizes importance, and, and it was expensive to make. And so here was a businesswoman, a, a, a wealthy woman, sitting here at the place of prayer with others. And it was to this woman that Paul turned. And look what it says in verse 14 again. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The next bit's really important. Look at what it says. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. That is, he opened her inner eyes to see and believe in the Jesus that Paul proclaimed. Friends, before salvation, our hearts are so controlled by sin that we are either slow to believe or actually antagonistic to the gospel. But God had been at work. God had been at work preparing this woman and preparing the missionaries. He had prepared the setting. He had prepared the timing. And now he opened her heart to see the truth. God had been at work. I, I love that little phrase here. Go back to verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Friends, as we look back over our lives, do we not see the same pattern? Do we not see the same pattern? When we look back, whether it is to the point of our salvation, 
or our ongoing spiritual journey. Do we not see those times in our lives when the Lord opens our heart, when the Lord so directs in our lives? You see, the Lord knew about Lydia. He knew about the slave girl. And he knew about the jailer. And he knew that they needed to hear the gospel. And so he stopped Paul and Silas and sent them off in a different direction. They got another call to go somewhere else and they went. And the outcome was glorious for three individuals, at least in that little town. We note that although the message was Paul's, look what he says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We note that although the message was Paul's, God had given him the gospel. The saving initiative was all God's. Paul's preaching was not, not effective in itself. Rather, the Lord worked through it. And the Lord's work was not itself direct. He chose to work through Paul's preaching. And it's always the same. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. That's the normative standard. Yes, God can work outside that standard if he wants to. We, we cannot box him in. But the normative standard is faith comes by hearing. And on that day, the Lord brought everything together. All the circumstances came together for this woman. What a glorious day this was going to be. Do you remember the day of your conversion? Do you remember some of those great spiritual milestones in your life? Sometimes we can't really see what the Lord's doing, can we, at times? We're, when we're in the middle of a difficulty, when we're in the middle of trouble, we're in the middle of, 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 of stressful situations. We can't always see, but we can look back and we can see the Lord's hand at work. And the Lord's hand was at work here in her life. And we're told the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Can I ask you this morning? I know you. I know many of you better than others simply because I've met you a wee bit more often. But I don't know everything about you. But I have to say to you this morning, has the Lord opened your heart? That will be the best day in the world for you. You, you may have achieved many glorious things. But has the Lord opened your heart? You see, for Lydia, for the slave girl, and for the jailer, life would never be the same again. You know, if the Lord's talking to you this morning, you have to respond to him. Don't let the moment go. Now, it might be for salvation. It might be for a fresh commitment. It might be to call you back because you've wandered. But the Lord opened her heart. Verse 15 goes on. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she per persuaded us. She invited them to come and stay at her home. The word translated persuaded there, and she persuaded us, is the exact word used to describe how the disciples prevailed upon Jesus to stay with them at, after their encounter on the Emmaus Road. Do you remember that encounter on the Emmaus Road, Luke 24, where, where Jesus comes and they're, they're on their way back to Emmaus, they're, they're downcast. Oh, what we had hoped for. We had hoped that this was the saviour of the world. 
Palm Sunday had been such a great day. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then only a few days later, they cried out, crucify, crucify. We have no king but Caesar. And then there had been Calvary. And then there had been a burial. And they didn't yet know. And so they persuaded him. They said, stay with us a little longer for the night is far gone. Come in and have something to eat. And as he went in and had something to eat and as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. Again, as in the case of Lydia. All of a sudden their eyes were opened. Luke's picture of Lydia's practice of hospitality demonstrates once again that those who experience the saving grace of God become gracious. Are you gracious to other people? I want to say thank you to you. You were very gracious to my family over the last year. Very gracious indeed. My first Father's Day without my dad. Now don't feel sorry for me. He's in heaven. He's in glory. He's in a better place. I wouldn't have brought him back. Not to what he was. But you're a credit to your minister who's taught you well and led you well and pastored you well because you were very gracious to us as a family in so many ways. Particularly the coffee service ladies. I have to give them, I have to commend them. They're the only group that sent my dad a card everywhere he went on that journey. When he first went into hospital, when he went to Gart Naval, when he went to intermediate care, when he went to Westerton, and finally when he ended up in Erskine. Poor soul. Everywhere he went, he got a card from the ladies. And your minister was very kind as well. I wouldn't say that if he was here. <laughs> Scrub that bit, take this off there. <laughs> Luke's picture of Lydia's practice of hospitality demonstrates once again that those who experience the saving grace of God become gracious. Philippi was destined to become one of Paul's most beloved congregations. Just you go home this afternoon if you've got time. Make time. There's only four short chapters. Read the whole letter to Philippians that he writes from the epistle of joy and just sense the love that there is between this pastor and his people. God's grace produced Christ-like spirits and sacrificial giving. And it always does. And it always does. King of kings, majesty, God of heaven, living in me, gentle saviour, closest friend, strong deliverer, beginning and end, all within me falls at your throne. King of Back kings, to the Bible, a good place to be. And it all begins when the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Well, there was three people in Philippi who were going to experiencing life-transforming encounters with the gospel and with Jesus Christ. And the second one is found in verses 16 to 24. We'll just read them again together. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled 
that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. No sooner, friends, are lost people saved than Satan begins to hinder the work. If the work is going well here in this church, then beware. The devil will not be happy. When people get saved, when they become Christians, when they place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you often actually find that your life becomes more difficult than it was before. And I'll tell you the reason why. All of a sudden, the devil had you before, you see. I'm not saying that you were particularly diabolical or evil or anything like that, uh, but he had you. He had you in a position where he wanted you. You weren't a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the minute the Lord opens your heart, the Lord works by his spirit in your life to bring you to Christ, it almost seems sometimes as though all hell has been let loose. And that literally is true. He wants you back. I've sat with many people over many years who have expressed exactly that thing, that they, they come to Christ, it's, it's been a long, hard journey, they come, there is a great euphoria, quite rightly so, in realizing that their sins are forgiven and that they have eternal life, but then the devil sets about them and things start to go wrong and problems start to occur. And it's exactly the same here. This is the biblical picture that we have before us. Verse 16 tells us how Look at verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. It appears that Paul and his team went regularly to the place of prayer, to the place where they had met Lydia. They went probably to meet Lydia again, and one can assume that perhaps there were other people who came along. They heard what had happened. Lydia had given her testimony, and so they had come along. That's why you have the Advent Supper here, isn't it? So that you can bring people, perhaps, who don't normally go to church, perhaps a colleague at work, perhaps a neighbor, a friend, a family member. You bring them along in order that at that time of the year they might hear the gospel. And so you can imagine, it doesn't actually say that there were other people there, but you can imagine that might have been the pattern. They went regularly to the place of prayer, still witnessing to the lost, and this girl repeatedly shouted. Verse 17, the girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Seems to be a replay of what happened many times in the ministry of Jesus. This continued, we are told, in verse 18, for many days until Paul was finally provoked to action. Look at verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left. 
her. She had been interrupting the work. She had been causing problems for many days. And finally, Paul was provoked to action. He became troubled, the Scripture tells us, which certainly means he was deeply disturbed. And no wonder he was disturbed. For the poor girl herself, no doubt he was disturbed for her. He was concerned about her. He knew her need. But more importantly, he did not want either the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by one of Satan's slaves. So he commanded the evil spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, which it immediately did. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Wonderful! Glorious! Not a bit of it. Look at verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. F.F. Bruce, a New Testament commentator, says this, when Paul exercised the spirit that possessed her, he exercised their source of income as well. Paul and Silas were now in real trouble because these owners could no longer make money out of this girl. Friends, whenever the preaching of the gospel touches the economic structure of the powers that be, opposition is bound to come. Richard Collier, who is the historian of the Salvation Army, he's written many books about the founding of the Salvation Army and the work of the Salvation Army, in talking about the early days, says this, persecution was great from the beginning. Gangs frequently hurled mud and stones through the windows at the preaching and the crowd. The liquor dealers worked hard to have Booth kicked out of East London. The police were no help. In fact, they often broke up outdoor meetings and accused Booth's followers of being the cause of all the trouble. Beatings were not uncommon. In 1889, at least 669 Salvation Army members were assaulted. Some were killed. Many were maimed. Even children were not immune. Ruffians threw lime in the eyes of a child of a Salvation Army member. And the newspapers ridiculed Booth. Punch referred to him as Field Marshal Von Booth. Whenever the gospel takes effect, there will be opposition. This girl had been marvelously saved. She had been marvelously delivered from the powers of evil. But yet those who controlled her were evil themselves. They didn't see deliverance. They didn't see new life and new hope. They simply saw their money had gone. Their money had gone. Paul had touched the profiteers' hearts. One commentator says the problem was their hearts were in their wallets. In the ensuing melee, false charges, racial innuendo were arrayed against Paul and Silas. And their arrest followed. Isn't that really very much like life today, isn't it? Good Bible-believing Christians put their head above the parapets and happen to say, well, we believe this and we believe that, and the devil says that. You will get shouted down right, left, and center. 
everybody can have an opinion but us. It's true. You listen to Newsnight and all these programs, Jeremy Vine. Uh, my mum loves Jeremy Vine in the morning, as I'm very often with my mum in the morning. I have to listen to Jeremy Vine as well on Channel 5. Not that I'm publicising it. He is better than Matthew Wright, who used to be on it. He was a, he was a rogue. Delete that bit as well. Anybody <laughs> who came on the phone when he was on it, who tried to take a biblical standpoint, he would shout them down. And if he wasn't winning, he just, you, they just put the phone down on you, don't they? Paul had touched the profiteers' hearts, but their hearts were in their wallets. And so Paul and Silas found themselves in prison. Note how quickly the devil changed tactics. When subterfuge did not work, he brings about outward persecution. Both are effective, though the latter sometimes backfires. What is it somebody said? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The forces of darkness were not at their smartest when they turned so quickly to persecution, as we will see in a moment. Because turning to persecution, turning to the authorities, turning to the beating, turning to the jail would lead to another miracle that we will see in a few moments' time. Look at verses 22 and 24. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What should have been a glorious occasion of thanksgiving reminds us that not everybody is pleased when people become Christians. I have met one or two over my lifetime people whose family have rejected them because they became a Christian, who wanted nothing to do with them because they became a Christian. But how wonderful to be delivered from darkness into light. Think of that poor, wretched girl used and abused. And in the name of Jesus Christ, she's cleansed, she's healed, she's made new. Amen. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Our Lord and Savior. He's just absolutely wonderful. Maybe my conversion wasn't as dramatic as that. Maybe your conversion wasn't as dramatic as that. Maybe it was. But you see, I think what we're seeing here is that God works in different ways with all sorts. We're all the same. We're all sinners and we all need to be saved. But our circumstances are different. Our lives are different. Different circumstances have brought us to different points. But it's the one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes lives. Perhaps very quietly for Lydia. There there's, doesn't seem to be any um, over-emotion about it. There's lots of turmoil here, isn't there, in the life of the girl and in the life of the missionary. How amazing is the grace of God that saved a wretch like me. We're going to sing that again, please. Thank you very much. John, if you don't mind, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see.
back to Acts 16. We're on page 1112. And uh, all was not lost. All was not lost. They'd received a call. They'd heard the call. They'd obeyed the call. They had gone. There had been good beginnings with Lydia uh, outside the city gate. And then there comes the trouble and the difficulty after this marvelous deliverance by the Lord Jesus Christ of this girl. But all was not lost. All was not lost. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, now remember they're, they're, they've been beaten, they've been stripped and beaten, they've been severely flogged, they've been thrown into prison, they've been put in the very deepest part of the dungeon to make sure that they couldn't get away. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all the family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. What did Paul and Silas do? They'd been stripped, they'd been beaten, they'd been abused, they'd been badly treated, they'd been thrown into the deepest part of the prison. What did they do? Verse 25 tells us about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. They spent the night hours praying and singing praises to God. They sang because they knew it was God who had called them to Asia Minor. This was God's work. This was God's doing. And whatever God was doing, God would bring about some good. Later, Paul would write to the Philippians. Um, if you can turn over to Philippians, please, chapter 1 and verse, it's opposite page 1179. Well, actually, it's on page 1179. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I did a, a little series recently um, in the church where I worship. It didn't intend to be a series, it just kept going and going and going. Um, you'll be glad I'm only here for one week. Or we could be going and going and going. Um, I tend to sort of get so far and say, come back next. It's a rare way of getting the congregation back. If you sort of stop halfway through or towards the end, you entice them back uh, the following week. Have you ever noticed that before? Verse 29 there, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. I'd read that and read that and read over it. I'd preached through it. I hadn't picked up on it, but I did this time. The series was, what were we to do with the gospel? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. The Lord had opened Lydia's heart. It's the same language. It's been granted to you. It's a gift when any of us become believers. Of ourselves, none of us will ever become a believer. 
We're dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says, each and every one of us before we come to Christ. I was and every sinner is. It takes a miracle of God, a miracle of grace. The Lord needs to open hearts. For it has been granted to you a privilege. You've been given the privilege to, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So the next time you're going through a really difficult period, friends, the next time you're asking lots of questions, why Lord, why me, why this situation, turn back to that verse in Philippians. God has not only given you the great privilege of salvation in Jesus Christ, but he's given you the privilege of living for Jesus Christ. And if you live long enough for Jesus Christ, you will suffer for Jesus Christ. You could almost go as far as to say, I need to get back on my notes. You could almost go as far as to say, if you're actually not ever, in, not ever experiencing any suffering, you really need to take a good long hard look at yourself. Because the world out there doesn't like what we have to say or the way we believe or the standards that we take or the standards that we demand of other people. I wouldn't like to be a public sector worker in the future. I really wouldn't. I think life is going to become really difficult for you. I think if you're a doctor or a nurse or, or a teacher or you work with children, you just look what's happened in the last few years. All the legislation is changing and it's changing and it's changing. And you're going to have to do and you're going to have to teach and there's not going to be any get out clauses as there used to be. That's not to put you off going into medicine, nursing or teaching. That's just to be realistic. And even in the private workplace. But anyway, back to what we're really supposed to be talking about. The Roman jailer. They were singing hymns. They were praying to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. It's been granted to you not only to believe. When we sing Amazing Grace, we rejoice, don't we? That saved a wretch like me. I used to say to the boys in the prison, I worked in a prison many years ago. I hasten to add, I worked there. I had a key, I could get out at the end of the day. I used to say to the boys in the prison, being a Christian is not an easier way of life, it's a better way of life. Would you agree with that? It's not an easier way of life, but it's a better way of life. They were doing all this. And look what it says in verse 25. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Listening to them. What are we like when we're going through difficulty and trouble? Are we moan a minute minis? Where everything's bad and awful and difficult. We just pour out our troubles all the time. Stripped. Have you ever been stripped and beaten? And thrown into a cell? I'm not making light because sometimes our circumstances can be very difficult. But here they were in that situation. And their reaction was to lead to another marvelous conversion. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. 
Then verse 29 and 30, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, what a wonderful question. How ministers wish that more people would come up to them in the street or at the coffee morning or at the open evening and say, what must I do to be saved? You know, regardless of how the jailer intended the question, regardless really of what he meant, Paul answered in the right way. Further, he answered it clearly. He said to the man, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What a clear and straight answer. No hedging, no fudging, no spinning. But he must personally believe in the Lord Jesus and he would be saved. Look at verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of Christ. He not only believed, but repented also. And as a token of his repentance, he then washed their wounds. Verse 33, at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized, perhaps in a well, perhaps in a fountain in the prison courtyard, or perhaps even using the same bowl from which he had cleansed their wounds. This new family in Christ now welcomed Paul and Silas into their home. Do you see the pattern? Just as Lydia had done into hers and set a meal before them, those who know the grace of God are gracious. Are we gracious to one another and to those outside? I've already given you my testimony. I won't repeat it again. And this celebratory feast was but an external expression of the inward joy which the whole family experienced because they had come to believe in God. The call said go, so they went. You could almost make a sermon out of that on its own, couldn't you? The call said go, so they went. Is the Lord speaking to you about something today? Is he saying go? Is he saying come to me for salvation? Is he saying go and do? Get involved? That wonderful meeting with Lydia that quiet story of conversion. Perhaps that's your story this morning. It was quiet. There was nothing dramatic. I, I wasn't like Paul. I wasn't on my way to Damascus. I didn't see a blinding light. I didn't fall down. I wasn't led blind into the city. Nobody came and put their hands in my eyes and said, Brother John. And then there's a slave girl from darkness, deep, deep darkness, from being bound in darkness to freedom and light. And then there's the jailer. Just when Satan thought he'd done his best, didn't he? He'd got rid of them. He'd got them stuck in the prison. The Lord intervenes again. And really, it's the Lord through this incident that opens this man's heart. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the most important question in any of our lives. 
This was the third of three striking conversions that Luke records as having taken place at Philippi. Lydia, the businesswoman, the unnamed slave girl, and the Philippine jailer. This is what John Stott says. John Stott calls attention to the fact that, and he quotes, the head of a Jewish household would use the same prayer every morning, giving thanks to God that he had not made him a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. But here were representatives of these three despised categories, redeemed and united in Christ. Amen. For truly, as Paul had recently written to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All the barriers are broken down. All the barriers that society so often constructs are broken down. We are all one, brothers and sisters, if we are in the Lord, belonging to the family. Amazing grace. Is it really still amazing in your life? Or has it become a bit dull and boring? You've been on the road a wee while, you go through the motions, you come here regularly, you put your money in the plate, you do a bit occasionally. Is grace still amazing? Do you realize? Really? Dead in trespasses and sin. Dead in trespasses and sin. But God who is rich in mercy. Hallelujah. Made us alive as he did all three. How did he make them alive? In Christ. Well, there's a wee bit more of dialogue there, but we're not going to go into it there this morning. Time has almost gone. The last five verses just show how the magistrates wanted them out of the town. Um, everywhere this, this, this pair went, they were causing trouble right, left, and center, so they wanted rid of them. Um, they hadn't realized, of course, that they were Roman citizens, so they should never have stripped and beaten them and thrown them in prison without a trial. The magistrates were worried, but they came, and the Bible tells us they appeased them and uh, persuaded them to leave. Let's just finally, verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Isn't that amazing? After all they'd been through, you'd have thought they wanted a hot bath, a meal, and a sleep. But they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. No wonder Paul declares to the Romans. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans. Just quickly, Romans chapter 1. The rustle of the leaves, how lovely. Romans chapter 1, it's opposite page 1129. Romans 1, 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. What an awesome God. Amen. What a powerful and sufficient Savior is Jesus Christ. If you've got him, you've got all you need. What a wonderful gospel story. And he's just the same today. Amen. I like that you're an amen-saying congregation. He's just 
the same today. If you know Christ, if you love Christ, are loved by Christ, if you're in the family, then you need to go and tell others. We've not to keep it to ourselves, to your neighbours, to your family, to your friends, to your work colleagues, colleagues, to those at school, to those at college or university. We are to go and tell them that there's an awesome God, that there's a powerful and sufficient Saviour, and there's wonderful good news. The lost can be found. The dead can be made alive. Ruined lives can be reclaimed. And all the people of God said, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the universal appeal of the gospel. We thank you for this character study here of three very different individuals. But yet all made new in Christ, all redeemed in Christ. We thank you that that gospel message is still true, that your power, Lord, does not fail, does not grow weak and weary. Search our hearts and lives, and whatever you need to say to us today, give us ears to hear, willing hearts and spirits. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.